Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the chance to be together to worship your name. And I pray that this wonderful Bible passage that Doug read so well, help it to come alive today. Help me not to stand in your way. May your spirit come in power, in resurrection power, and teach us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've had a lot of sermons on priests. The last three sermons. And I'm not used to the idea of a priest. I'm not from that background. I know some people are, and I know half of Christendom is. Not me. I'm used to the idea of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and Jesus as priest. I've got it technically, but what does it mean? How does it deepen my faith in my Lord? Well, why so many sermons on priests? Because Hebrews talks about Jesus as high priest a lot. It started, believe it or not, in chapter 2. And it goes all the way to chapter 13. And I looked in the concordance, and there isn't a single other New Testament letter that mentions Jesus as priest. So this is the book. And it must be important. And maybe as each New Testament letter has a its own slant, it's Jesus is, and how to serve him. So Hebrews, for us, has its own dimension that I'm going to learn from somehow. Yeah. So why is this book so interesting? Well, let's take a look at the sermons we've had so far. I'm not going to preach them all again, but um, let's take a look. The first six chapters, what do you see? I see it's about Jesus. It's about our Lord. That's what we've been hearing about. So not all the technicalities, those are important, but primarily the book is like every other book telling us more about Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Chapter one introduces Jesus. The one through, if you remember those glorious first four verses, God made the world and Jesus is the heir of the, all things. And Dick said he's worth listening to. That's at the bottom there. Paul, the apostle, says the same, same message in Colossians. But by him were all things created. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. It's the same message. Chapter 2, look who holds our future, said Dick. Moves on to saying, this Jesus who made the world became one with mankind. And here's, he identified with the human race. He, quote, made his brethren to become a merciful and faithful high priest. That's wonderful, isn't it? Other books say the same thing. John's Gospel says the word became flesh in an amazing economy of words. And Galatians chapter 4 says God sent his forth, forth his son born of a woman. Here in Hebrews, the extra dimension 
is the incarnation of Christ into a human body is linked to the concept of high priest. Chapter four brings out Jesus sympathizing with our weaknesses opened up by Debbie as a great high priest. And that's expanded in the first part of chapter five. And this led to an exposition of Melchizedek as a type of both priest and king, chapter six and seven. And we had an interlude on going on to Christian maturity. How can we forget the skit? Do you remember with Barbara and Luke playing about the need to go on to maturity? And then chapter eight began the talk of Jesus mediating a new and better covenant. And that's found in Jeremiah chapter 31. And Dick spoke about that theme and so did Doug. I love this idea of God putting his law in my mind and writing on my heart. I wish it happened more. As Ezekiel says, giving me a new heart, heart of flesh. Our passage today focuses on the high of the high priest and on the special way in which the high priest used to represent the nation, right? First, our passage runs through the tabernacle setup given in Exodus chapters 25 and 27. Our passage runs through detailed instructions on exactly how the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies was to be set up and the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tent. And then the curtain separating the holy place from the courtyard and the gate separating the courtyard from the outside. So it was something like that. And there were barriers. You had to get through the gate to get in the courtyard. Then there was a barrier to get into the holy place. And then inside there, there was the curtain, the veil, as they call it, separating out the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Something like that, cut away. Yeah. The Exodus gives such detailed instructions on how to build this thing. It also gave detailed instructions how the priest was to be dressed. I guess priests were important. And when and how those offerings were to be made. Only one priest went into the Holy of Holies. That was a high priest, wasn't it? And he offered for the sins of the people just once a year. Why? Why does the book of Hebrews refer back, back, back? 1,400 years ago, 1,400 years from now, is the King Arthur is a long time back. Why not to the glorious temple in Jerusalem? Or Solomon's temple? If he's going back to the first covenant, he's going back to the first covenant because he's talking about the new covenant. Huh? Three times in Exodus, the Bible says three times Moses must build exactly according to the plan he received while he was with God 40 days up on that mountain. I'm thinking he must have taken very good notes. And Hebrews takes this to mean that he was, what he was building was a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven. 
Now, marvelous as I'm sure the tabernacle and the temple was, it's not necessarily the first image that comes to mind when I think of heaven. What about you? I think of different images of heaven. I might think of a glorious city. I might think of the river and the trees with the leaves for healing that Revelation talks of. Sometimes I even think of music. I won't mention harps. But I don't often think of a tabernacle. We have to let God be God, don't we? We don't invent God. He tells us what he's like. And he uses imagery that we can understand and that they can understand then. Our imagery might be our art, our sports, our music, our celebrities, our streaming devices, our Facebook pages, our media. But through the story of the tabernacle, we're learning a bit more of what God really is like. And that shedding of blood of animals. What is God telling us through this about what he's like? Why is he repeating the story in this passage? I think God is reminding us that for him, sin, sin, what he calls sin, is important. He hates it. When I think of sin, I think of mistakes. Didn't we have mistakes in one of our slides? I think of something unpleasant that I think, that I've said, that I've done. But at my heart, I tend to think I'm a good person, don't you, inside? And God says, no, no. What happened in that Garden of Eden, and we have different interpretations, was something that led to the death of the human race. Something that was so awful that no matter how good we are, we're taint tainted. And God says that's important to him. Now, if I was inventing God, I wouldn't invent it quite that way, would you? But God tells us what he's like for our own good. Because all kinds of people have tried to invent God in new religions, new ways, and they don't go anywhere. The true religion is found in Jesus Christ. He tells us what God is like. So God chose to do something about it. I'm very glad he did, because the universe is kind of big, isn't it? And we learn of unbelievable numbers of stars and galaxies. And there's a lot going on that must have been great fun to look at. And he could have just forgotten about this part of the universe. But he chose to do something right from the beginning. I think it's so marvelous. Right from the beginning, God who's outside of time knew that there would come a time when he would deal with sin, with that that irreversible thing that happened early on that led to all of us being sinful. He planned to give up his own son for us, to suffer the consequences of 
sin, death and slavery for all his people, once for all. No wonder that our Hebrews author talks about the time of the new things coming. No wonder Paul talks about Galatians being the, the law, in Galatians, about the law being just a schoolmaster to prepare us for Christ. Jesus, Jesus came. And he came as Lord and Savior, and he came as high priest to bring us to God and sacrifice to atone for us. Believe it. Hold on to it. Live it. It's true. Jesus is both our high priest and the sacrifice. I'm not used to that kind of thing. Christ offered himself, it says, as the perfect sacrifice to God. I heard Doug read it. Now, we're not used to that kind of sacrifice, a sacrifice for sin. Maybe it sounds a bit primitive, but we are familiar with sacrifice, right? In terms of one person giving up something special or even their life for someone else. Some have given up much to care for a sick family member. Some have personal stories or stories have read of fellow soldiers giving up their lives for their comrades. My own father could have sacrificed his life. He was willing. He received a medal, we learnt after he died, for going into a burning aircraft to check if anyone inside was trapped. And perhaps Sam Barkat may remember the chapel speaker at the King's College who told about a sacrifice. A speaker must have been in the Korean War, I think. He and his body were in a foxhole in the front line of a battle when an enemy soldier threw a hand grenade into their foxhole. As it rolled into the bunker, there were just two of them there, his body winked at him and curled around the hand grenade as it went off. So the body gave his life so that our speaker could live to tell the story. We're familiar with, we're familiar with that kind of sacrifice. That's the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Paul wrote to the Romans, for a good man, some would even dare to die. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, we might die for a good man. But Christ died for us. What did it mean for Jesus? What did it mean for him to become both priest and sacrifice? Well, verse 12 says, first, that like the high priest of old once a year, Jesus has entered that holy of holies on our behalf. You enter a room from the outside, right? We all entered from out there to get in here. And Jesus became outside when he became man through what we call the incarnation. Paul writes to the Philippians who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. For a little while, as it says earlier, for a little while, Jesus stepped outside of his eternal paradise in fellowship with God to enter our world, to be made like his people in all things. Talk about leaving your comfort zone. This was an amazing step for Jesus to take. 
came in from the outside. He became outside for us. He can become our high priest because he was outside. Second, it says, Jesus came into the Holy of Holies with his own blood as the sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ. It's such a strong image, blood. I never broke a bone in my body when I was growing up. I was lucky because I fell off walls. I fell out of trees. I went over the handlebars of my bicycle so often. Yeah, I've seen blood. And you've seen blood. Maybe we don't see as much blood as people used to, but it's a strong image, isn't it? And Jesus used that image himself, didn't he? At the Last Supper, when he said the bread and wine represented his body and blood. Jesus allowed his own physical blood to flow when he was beaten. He was crucified so horribly. But that was even more gruesome. It was Jesus offering himself up as the perfect sacrifice. What for? For the sins of his people. Behold the Lamb of God, called out John the Baptist. Jesus didn't need to enter the heavenly holy of holies with a sacrifice, but he did come with his own blood, and that sacrifice was for you and me. Isaac Watts' hymn has it, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. It's amazing that Christ could be both priest and sacrifice. Amazing that he had to step outside from heaven to do that. Though he did exist before in the form of God. Amazing that he shed his own blood to bring us into the Holy of Holies. So what's our response? I'm sure we can think of lots of responses. But I'd like to look at where Hebrews takes us with this in the next chapter. I know we're going to come back to this passage. Chad Wade is going to preach on this. <clears throat> but in, there are three things it says in chapter 10 when whoever wrote Hebrews wraps, it up, wraps this part up. He says, first, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts and bodies washed. The first response is what we call up, right? Let us draw near to God. Got that? Let us draw near. Hebrews portrays with those vivid symbols what Christ has done for his people, for all who must done, so that we can draw near to pray to God. Take time to be holy, we sing. Speak oft with thy Lord. That means daring to be honest with God. Because being close to someone, drawing near, means they'll know your failings. What would it mean for you this week, tomorrow, to draw near to God? That's our first challenge. The second one, let's hold fast. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope, he says, without wavering. Here's that call to persevere again that Dick introduced Hebrews with many weeks ago, saying that's what it's about, holding and persevering. <clears throat> Every good leader will find ways of encouraging people. 
to hold on, to persevere in times of trouble, right? As a faculty member at Fordham University, I was pleased to get encouraging messages from the administration from time to time during the difficult 18 months we've been through. Messages that acknowledged that many people were experiencing considerable difficulties. Messages that thanked us for our work. Messages that encouraged us to stay on task with being the best we could for our students. The virtual world we found ourselves in so much of last year that made it easy to slip away, didn't it? To multitask during worship services. Did you do that? To stay more in our comfort zones than engaging like we are today in the messy world of faith. Hold fast. That's part of our out. It is, you say? Yes. Because our testimony of God's faithfulness won't have much shine if we're slipping in our faith, will it? I don't want to tell people about Jesus if I'm not sure if I believe in him. Persevere, hold fast. That's our out. Up, out, and in. Let us stimulate one another. <clears throat> what Doug read was, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And the Bible I have at home says to stimulate. I like that idea of stimulating to love and good deeds. That's our in. We've shown so, so many gifts of the Holy Spirit at CBC in the ways we minister to each other and help each other. So many ways we contribute to the life of the body here. And we, looking at the New Testament, it's full of good teaching and advice on what, what it looks like, God's family in action. Well, to the Romans, Paul writes, they should be devoted to one another in brotherly love. They should honor one another, contribute to people's needs, practice hospitality, associate with the lowly, lots and lots of good stuff. And Galatians, he says, we're to bear one another's burdens. Colossians writes about family relationships. Each letter of book has its own slant, helping us build up a picture of, of what the family of God really looks like. But here, here, the challenge has its own wrinkle to stimulate each other to love and good works. Because that's an extra wrinkle that makes all the difference. There's lots of good organizations and clubs where people look out for each other. There's lots of places where they like each other, feed each other, and reach out and help other people. And God bless them, they do good work. This isn't just that. This isn't just that. This is the family of God. We need to stimulate each other to love God. I'm stimulated. I was stimulated at Ruth Schuster's funeral yesterday. And the sermon that reminded us, like Ruth, to learn how to listen to God, how to be able to tell when it was God speaking amidst all the other thoughts you have, this thought came from God. That stimulated me to think more about prayer and about listening to God. 
I'm stimulated when I see some of you and others doing far more than I would have even thought of doing, doing an act of service that was just far more than I'd ever thought of. That stimulates me. And I'm stimulated, not often enough, when one of you or a friend says, how is your walk with the Lord going? How is the Lord using you these days? What is the Lord teaching you these days? Stimulate each other to love and good deeds that are in. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stimulate one another up, out, and in. That's what this passage, I think, is challenging us with this week. Jesus is both the high priest to bring us to God and the sacrifice to atone for us. Believe it. Hold on to it. Live it. It's true. God bless you.